Hey companions, uh, this is Peter. And this is Tom. And this is a pre-recorded episode from Podstalgic. So uh, this episode is still there, but we decided to put these on Cobra Kai Companion. So that way you guys get to hear all the stuff that we have done previously. Yes, basically it's the same uh, Tom and Peter, same show, just a little bit more directly uh, fed to you. And here it is. Yeah, hey, what kind of belt do you have? Canvas. You like? <laughs> JC Penny 398. <laughs> no, no, I didn't mean a belt like that. I meant... Okinawa belt me no need rope, hold up pants. <laughs> that's, 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 that's funny. Daniel san. What? Karate here. Karate here. Karate never here. You understand? I think so. Hey, this is Marty McFly, and you're listening to Hydrate Level 4 Presents Podstalgic, a film podcast on core temp arts. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a podcast? Welcome to Podstalgic. This is a podcast where we take a nostalgic look and rediscover movies new and old. Uh, I'm your host, Peter, and joining me on this episode is Tom from Jake and Tom Conquer the World. Hey, Tom. Hey, I am... You know what? I'm actually genuinely excited to be here because we've been talking about uh, reviewing this movie for what feels like months, and finally I'm here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for those that aren't familiar with you, uh, but do subscribe to the show, you guys did a takeover episode for me, uh, just last summer and you guys covered the pilot episodes because I think it was a part one, part two of the uh, Lois and Clark, the Superman adventures. Yes. New, new uh, adventures of Superman. I'm sorry. Starring, uh, our guy Dean Kane, in fact. Yes, both of us have met him, met him uh, had different experiences, actually. <laughs> yeah. uh, mine are a little bit more positive than yours. You, you know what? Uh, I'm going to let you know, your your audience go hunt down the episode to, to hear that story. But I, I still get the impression that uh, Dean Kane is a very, very decent guy. Yeah, he he was very uh, kind kind to me, uh, and and my son. He asked to pick up my son, who was wearing a Spider Man uh, costume, and that was kind of cool. And for whatever reason, I guess he got the uh, I don't know. He was under the assumption I was a single father because he dropped some kind of line about that. I'm just like, oh, uh, all right. I got a ring on my finger, and I guess I was there with another. I mean, I was there with my male coworker. Maybe that's why. I don't know. I. You know what? I, I think maybe he makes assumptions, which is very easy to do when your window of time with him is 30 seconds to two minutes. Yeah. That so, could very so well be it, it. It's understandable. I mean, either way, like I said, he comes across as a very, very decent person. Yeah. Yeah. He really does. Um, but Tom, for those that are not familiar with Jake and Tom Conquer the World, can you tell them a little bit about what you guys do over there? Uh, well, we're still working on the world conquering part, uh, because we spend way too much time talking about, uh, various superheroes, movies, comic books, TV shows, uh, and really whatever else pops into our mind. Uh, and, uh, Jake and I have been known to imbibe on various, uh, forms of, uh, alcohol on the show every once in a while, and it's a fun time. I definitely recommend that you check it out. 
Absolutely. I'm a huge fan, obviously. And uh, uh, I've been on there myself uh, doing a takeover episode where I just kind of threw a bunch of clips from previous interviews I did that were Back to the Future related. But uh, I also made an appearance as one of the hosts of We Got Five with my co-host Devin, uh, where you and I and Jake, uh, we all talked about, uh, was it Bar Foods? Uh, after, after the bar foods. Yeah. That was actually a really fun episode. We got to do something like that again. Yeah, absolutely. I'm always down. And, you know, you guys made many, uh, uh, appearances on We Got Five, uh, which included, uh, sequels, uh, mm-hmm. top, top five sequels, which, uh, I'll kind of spoil it. Uh, Karate Kid 2 was in my list and that's kind of why you're here. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about the Karate Kid. Uh, for this episode, we are covering the first movie. Uh, you will return to do the second movie as well. I'd uh, be so, hurt if you didn't ask me. Yeah. No, really. <laughs> uh, especially since you already kind of started part two yeah. tonight as well. Uh, but the Karate Kid. So we're going to be covering a, um, an older movie today, obviously. Uh, this one came out June 22nd, 1984. Uh, just looking back at that year, when this movie came out, the number one song was Time After Time by Cindy Lauper. I remember when that song was uh, huge on the radio, and I remember when this movie was very, very big. Uh, It's it's kind of been lost in the sands of time, just how popular and how successful this movie was, but it was pretty big. I mean, it it spawned action figures, video games, all kinds of tie-in merchandise, uh, and... You know, it was a, it was a, a one of the quintessential '80s movies. It really was. Yeah, I mean, there was even an animated series. Yes, there was. Yes. Yeah. Uh, time after time, does that bring any memories to you? Uh, you know, I just remember Cindy Lauper from that uh, period with the uh, at the time very wild hair, uh, weird wardrobe, and uh, the to goons. tie in. Yeah, and to tie into uh, our other show, Chair Shots and Cheap Pops. She was part of the rock and wrestling revolution for WWF. Oh, did not know that. Yes, she was. Yes, uh, she went out with uh, Captain Lou Albano to the ring. Oh, never heard of her, is what Devin would usually say. Uh, <laughs> but I'm sure that's a wrestler. Captain Lou Albano? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He was. He's a great old school wrestler. Okay, yeah, that name, like, I've never heard of that. And, you know, I, I think I am more familiar with some of those um, older names, too. Like, mm-hmm. I think I surprised Devin one time, you know, just coming up with, like, names that I knew. Maybe it was you also, because didn't you guys come on to do, like, Top 5 Wrestlers? We did, but I don't think you were on that episode. Yeah, I think that was, like, the month I took off, and yeah. but I still sent in a list of, like, people that I did know, because uh, I remember throwing in, like, Bam Bam Bigelow in there and okay, stuff. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, Bam Bam was awesome. Yeah, so I remember him, but this this other this other fella, yeah, I've never heard of at all. Uh, if it makes you feel any better, he was uh, the first person in the United States to play Mario. Play Mario. Yes, because Nintendo released a cartoon based on the Super Mario Brothers, right? And they had actors kind of uh, do intros and uh, skits in between the animated segments. 
and Captain Lou Albano played Mario. Oh, interesting. Okay. They mm-hmm. did that a lot in the 90s. They would have like the, the live action, you know, intertwined with the uh, the animated series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, some of the movies that also came out the very same weekend, uh, Rhinestone. Oh, awful movie. I That's what I hear. <laughs> uh, I've seen uh, a friend of the show, Jay of uh, Jay Movie Talk, he, he actually sent me the YouTube clip of Sylvester Stallone trying to sing. Um, in the scene are, are the you movie. sure that that's a friend? Because that's not something a friend would do to us. <laughs> well, you know, I've had friends um recommend the room to me too. Oh. So, so, yeah. They and, and you know what? I mean, that movie. It is what it is. Uh, I still want to see the James Franco uh, version when that comes out. The uh, oh, making of that I am movie. Fascinated by that project. Yes. Yeah. That's disaster awesome. artist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so rhinestone top secret. Uh, that is a um a favorite of mine. That's with mm-hmm. Val Kilmer and the Pope of Greenwich, maybe is Greenwich Village. Greenwich Village. Yep. Okay. Uh, Eric Roberts and I believe Mickey Rourke. Oh, see, I've never heard of that one. I remember hearing about it when I was a kid, and I've seen bits and pieces of it. It was one of those very adult movie in a boring kind of way. Mm, okay. Uh, yeah, because uh, I was. Seven or eight when this came out, and so that would have been a movie that I would have avoided at the cost of all else oh, okay. at that time. So yeah, so not worth a watch is what you're saying. Eh, you know what? Probably not. not. Okay, yeah. I mean, I've never heard of it. I mean, I'll go back and watch Top Secret. You know, that's that's oh, completely yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah. So this movie it was directed by John G. Avildsen, uh, who also did uh, some of the Rocky movies, and it stars Ralph Macchio. Uh, as the Karate Kid, Daniel LaRusso, a.k.a. Daniel Sun, uh, Pat Morita as Mr. Miyagi, Elizabeth Shue as Allie with an eye, uh, Billy Zapka as Johnny Lawrence, Martin Cove as John Kreese. And I think that's our main characters. Well, you also have uh, Daniel's mom, Lucille, but I'm not sure who yeah, the Randy actress Randy Heller, uh, Lucille, okay. yeah. Um, okay, so she that and that that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. Everybody else mm-hmm. is um, um just bit players. I guess uh, Elizabeth Shue's brother is a member of Cobra Kai. If if you want to bring oh, really? him up from Melrose Place, yeah, Andrew Shue. <laughs> um, now this name rings a bell to me, Chris Casamasa. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly, but he's uncredited as a tournament guest. If I remember correctly, he plays Scorpion in the Mortal Kombat movies. You know what? Even though that was uh, the time that I was in high school, I never actually saw the Mortal Kombat movies. Oh, no kidding. No, it's, yeah. it's till this day still. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Were you into the games? It wasn't so much that I wasn't into the games, but that was when I uh, first started dating the lady that became my wife. Ah. And so I was kind of doing the uh, teenage boy and teenage girl thing at the time. Right. And you're like, uh, you know, I want to get with this girl. I got to put down the games. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're not missing much. Um, but, you know, the big debate between, you know, um, video game movies is like, oh, which one's better, Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter? People, I, I feel the majority always pick Mortal Kombat. Street Fighter is just bad. It's just I've bad. heard that. I've heard that. Uh, and I've also heard that the people who like Street Fighter like it in a so bad it's good sort of way. Yes. Yeah. That's that's accurate. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. 
so, okay, so for a little refresher, this movie is about uh, Daniel LaRusso, who is from Newark, New Jersey. His mother gets relocated to Reseda uh, and takes him over there where he befriends a uh, Japanese man who is the handyman of the apartments that they live in. As the new kid kind of gets bullied because he develops a relationship with the, I guess we can call her a popular girl, cheerleader. Not only, not only a popular girl, but one from the quote unquote right side of the tracks. Yes. She lived in the hills That's and right. she was very rich. Yep. Whereas Daniel was very poor. Yeah. And his mom kind of, um, kind of lied to him a little bit in the beginning there. Uh, but while Daniel gets, you know, beat up throughout the movie, uh, again, uh, with this relationship, he starts with Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi takes him under his wing, teaches him karate. Uh, he gets the girl and that's, uh, that's, that's our movie here. Essentially. Yeah. Uh, and looking at this, you can tell that the director was the same guy that made the original Rocky because they're both movies about physical combat and about underdogs really overcoming the odds in a competition that they had no real business being in. Yeah, and like I, I often hear people say like this is like the kid version of Rocky and I I don't I don't believe that, you know, like I know Rocky was rated R. This is rated PG. But mm-hmm. I mean, this is like a family movie. It's for all ages. It's an underdog story, first and foremost. You know, I, I think a lot of people can relate. Um, you know, starting from the bottom, start starting from somewhere. You know, and just trying to, you know, go the distance. I guess to take something from uh, the Rocky series. But uh, do you have a history with this movie? I do. Uh, again, I remember when this movie came out. Uh, this was also the time when. Home video really, really started to take a, a grasp on the American public. VCRs were first starting to become affordable to the average family and video rental stores started popping up. And this was one of the first movies I remember my family renting and taking home and watching on uh, our home television. And I, I remember very distinctly sitting in between, uh, on, on the couch between my mom and dad. And just being completely absorbed with this movie. So and it was really fun kind of watching that and thinking back to those times. Yeah, for me, like this is one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm already kind of spoiling that now. Uh, but it's not one that I watched as often as like, you know, your Back to the Features and things like that. But, um, but this movie I do know very well. It was one that I watched over and over along with the sequel. But I don't know. I, I think it's like a, a variety of things. It's not like I can relate to like Mr. Miyagi, you know, and, or, or, or Daniel. It's, it's really the story and the music. Like the music always stuck with me too. Um, I know, I, I don't think this movie is known for its soundtrack. Like I know there's like at least two great songs off the soundtrack, but I think the score is uh, really what stands out for me. Uh, Bill Conti, who, um, scores this movie also did like a lot of the, the Rocky movies. Actually, I think, I think he might have done them all. I know he did. Yeah. Even Rocky Balboa. So up to that point, he's done all the Rocky movies. Uh, did all the Karate Kid movies. One, two, three, four. Yeah. 
So, um, so he's done a lot. Wow, even Masters of the Universe. <laughs> uh, interesting. Well, you know what? I would argue that there is one song in particular, uh, a popular song that was very popular. That uh, song that goes, "You're the best around. Nothing's ever going to keep you down." Mm-hmm. That song is very much associated with the Karate Kid. Absolutely. Yeah, that song was originally written for like one of the Rocky movies as well. Um, cause I know people. I could see that, yeah. Yeah, often people are like, hey, why is that lyric, you know, history repeats itself? Like, I mean, this is, you know, uh, Daniel's first go around. And yeah, it, it was kind of shot down for, uh, in favor of Eye of the Tiger. And then, uh, they used, um, you're the best for this one. Mm-hmm. And speaking of soundtracks, recently, uh, not too long ago, Wes from Via VHS, he joined me. Uh, on an episode where we talked about like uh, 80s music from 80s movies and mm-hmm. You're the Best was on there. Not a, not a lot of love for that song uh, in that particular poll. But it has not aged particularly well. Right. It, it's very much a song from 1984. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's still good for what it is, but I, I it's not timeless. Let's put it that, so, that way. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. Uh, so let's talk about, uh, Daniel moving to, um, Reseda here. This is one, one thing that I kind of, uh, not remembered was that his mom was like, oh yeah, we're, you know, we're going to move over there and everything's going to be great. And then when they show up, there's this empty pool, the faucet's not working. Um, I'm trying to like, did, did his mom lie to him? Is, is that what we're... You know what? I, I did not get that impression at all. Okay. I got the impression that the realtor lied to her. Okay. Um, and maybe, and I mean, this is going to be the first instance that I'm going to say this. Maybe it's because I'm watching this movie for the first time in, like I said, 15, 20, almost 20 years, but I'm looking at it from a completely different perspective now. Right. Uh, as an adult, I, I kind of got the impression that the mother, this was a desperation move in order to keep her head above water. That's why she moved her and her son across country. And she thought that she found something really good with this apartment. She got there and it's not good. Right. I, I didn't get the impression that the mother lied at all. I, I got the feeling that mom's just trying to keep things going. What, what I do find interesting is like, um, with all these, problems around the, the the apartments you got the the maintenance man mr miyagi he's just in his room trying to catch flies with chopsticks well i mean no i mean he fixed the the sink on a very very timely manner eventually <laughs> but but no you're right i mean I, I feel like if people are about to move into a new apartment i don't know don't they usually do like some kind of test just to make sure everything's you know fine and dandy when people move in I'm I'm trying to give Mr. Miyagi the benefit of the doubt yeah. here, man. Okay, no, you're right. You're right. <laughs> All right. So Daniel meets uh some some new people. He he meets a uh, Freddie Fernandez, which we, we meet like early on, and that's pretty much it. But uh, I guess he only hung out. Uh, well, I mean, they they live in the same apartment complex, don't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's how they met. Uh, uh, literally, Daniel was kicking his way in, and Freddie was trying trying to get through the the gate. Daniel kicked the door right in his face. Yeah. And so Freddie invites him to some kind of like a goodbye summer party over at the beach. Mm-hmm. And that's where he meets Allie, Allie with an eye. Uh, what do you remember uh, about Elizabeth Shue in this movie? 
Same thing I remember about Elizabeth Shue in all of her movies, and that is she is just so damn adorable. She's one of those people that I would love to, you know, I mean, she was one of those ideal girl-next-door types. Yeah, I I definitely remember her from this and also Adventures in Babysitting. Uh, As much as I love the Back to the Future uh, series, she was never my Jennifer Parker so I, I never, that's the funny thing. I never really associate her with that, uh, with those movies, probably because she doesn't seem to associate her with those movies either. I mean, she doesn't show it to any of the cons, you know, as Jennifer Parker or anything like that, which is all well, fine. Didn't, wasn't there a, a bad parting of the way between her and that particular franchise? I, I thought that she just wasn't asked back. Mm, well, I mean, she, she was Jennifer Parker in two and three. But um, I I don't know, like, after the movies, if there was anything there. But, Mm. yeah, as far as I know, everything seems to be fine, but... Also, I mean, when you think about it, she also kind of got shuffled away from the uh, Karate Kid movies, too. Yeah, I I think I remember some kind of story. I don't remember the story, but there was Mm -hmm. a reason why, uh, you know, she didn't come back. And that's why they kind of wrote in what they did at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the, uh, the second movie, which... If I remember correctly, it was supposed to make us not like Allie. You know, like, didn't she yeah. stand him up or something? She did. Uh, and she, quote unquote, fell in love with a football player from UCLA, which, looking at it as an adult and as somebody who, I don't want to say, you know, looking at it with 21st century eyes, I thought that was kind of a tasteless way to get rid of her character just a little bit yeah absolutely because i mean there's there's a line like later on in the movie too where uh daniel lets her drive you know and she's like oh really and he's like yeah it's you know it's it's the 80s Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know so yeah i mean yeah it's still 84 we're not too far removed from like a lot of like the racist jokes and the sexist jokes not not only that but at the very beginning of the karate kid too daniel pulls into the you know uh, driveway of Mr. Miyagi, the car is trashed. Why? Because Allie trashed it. She rearranged the fender and blew the engine. Yeah, see, it's so... Like, oh, I, man. So, uh, see, th- that's why I, I wonder if there was, like, a contract, you know, disagreements or something, you know, with uh, Elizabeth Shue, and that's why they're like, oh, we're just going to trash her in the movie, you know? Mm. I wonder if that's what it was. But um, th- did you like their little, little meet-cute, like... When I was younger, I always kind of thought, like, physically, they looked a little like an unconventional couple, you know, because Ralph Macchio is just so, so little, you know, in comparison. It's kind of like, it's kind of like seeing Michael J. Fox with, like, you know, any woman or Tom Cruise, you know, they're, they're just smaller in stature. Well, uh, looking at it now, I, I think that was intentional. And it's because they are a couple that weren't supposed to get together. Okay. You know, she was supposed to go off to the Ivy Leagues, whereas Daniel was a community college kind of guy. Yeah. So you want that contrast with those characters. Right. And and he is something completely different than her, you mm-hmm. know, ex-boyfriend Johnny, who we also meet here at the beach. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, what do you think of this scene here, the uh, introduction of Cobra Kai? Uh, you know what? I think it did a really good job of establishing them as the the big bads of the movie and honestly johnny just needs to really figure out how to at least talk to women if he's trying to persuade 
uh, Allie to at least have a conversation with her, with him. Property damage is probably not the best icebreaker. Right. I mean, those um, boom boxes weren't cheap back then. No, no, that was a major investment back then. Yeah. <laughs> now, did you ever see like the the thing on YouTube where somebody put a little video together saying that Daniel was the bad guy in the movie? I did not, but looking at this movie in my I, I watched this with my wife and she kind of kind of talked me down, but looking at it, Daniel kind of came off as a petulant child. Mm-hmm. And my wife kind of had to point out to me that, well, yeah, he's supposed to be 16 years old he's kind of you know he's out of his element and so yeah he's gonna be behave like a like a jerk yeah but i wouldn't say that johnny's the good guy no <laughs> it's um because i i might be misremembering this a friend of the show uh mike Masunis over at the sweep the lake podcast uh he actually had <laughs> billy zapka um as a guest on the show and I don't know if Billy Zabka talked about this, but I know there's a video that exists that tries to point out and make Daniel the bad guy. You know, he's the one that tried to get with Johnny's uh, girlfriend or ex-girlfriend and um, just continues to kick all the asses of the Cobra Kai and all that. I mean, it's funny. It's funny, but I don't subscribe to that at all. No. Um, really, I think the... End all be all good guy of this story is Mr. Miyagi. Yeah. I was amazed watching this movie again, just how much I connected as an adult to Mr. Miyagi. I mean, his story is just so well told and Pat Morita did such a good job in his performance. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy to think that he wasn't the first choice and they weren't high on him as well when he did get cast you know they're like a comedian you know the same thing with uh, michael keaton as batman the same thing as heath ledger as the joker you know mm-hmm. uh, pat Morita was was one of them as well um and i know that he was known for his comedic role in was it happy days yeah he played arnold yeah so and and i know he spoke differently and so um they kind of just, I guess he just won them with like that Mr. Miyagi voice that he just kind of pulled out of nowhere. Uh, I did throw on the supplemental material, uh, just very briefly, you know, after the viewing. And that's kind of what I got from that. And it was really sad to kind of like see him too in, in the, in the, in those featurettes, you know, uh, mm-hmm. rest in peace. Uh, but he did get nominated for, for best actor in this role. Absolutely. He deserved it. Um, my wife, again, uh, she watched this with me, and this was one of her favorite movies when she was growing up. She said she watched it at least 30 times, but she hasn't watched it in a long, long, long time. Right. And now that uh, she's watching it at this stage in her life, she's seeing it more through Mr. Miyagi's point of view. And really, he did such an effective job because he really kind of presented the story of a man who was supposed to be a father. He was supposed to have a son, but fate stepped in and took it away from him. And lo and behold, he has another chance to kind of step into that father role. And it was just such a great story arc. Yeah, it really is. I mean, they are both kind of, they, they, they both need each other. They are both, you know, they have a void uh, Daniel doesn't have a father. Mr. Miyagi never had a son. 
Um, mm-hmm. but that scene, like, I remember the scene, but I don't remember the story. Like, I remember him getting drunk, but as a kid, just, I just kind of dismissed it. You know, the, the scene in whole. I just remember Daniel reading the newspaper, seeing that Mr. Miyaki was in the military, but I never, I never caught anything about like the mother and son before. Um, you know, I might have seen something in the newspaper and again, just never thought of it, but I never heard him say it until this mm-hmm. viewing. I'm like, Oh my God, he actually did tell Daniel the actual story. Cause I remember the whole scene where he's like, Sergeant Miyagi. Yes, sir. You know, like I remember that, but then I don't remember like, Sergeant Miyagi. Yes, sir. Sergeant Miyagi report to kill many German, sir. <laughs> And that broke my heart, you know, and uh, it was just so sad. Not only that, but it was implied with that newspaper article that his wife was was in the uh, Japanese internment camps during World right. War Two, mm-hmm. and the reason why they didn't get a doctor her to her in time was because of her location. Right, and in the meantime, you know she's basically being victimized by the country that he's risking his life to defend. It's just such an heartbreaking story, and he sold it so so well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, why do you think they wrote that in? Like, why are we giving so much depth to this character? Honestly, I'd say good screenwriting. You know, they wanted to round out the character. They didn't want him to just be this stereotype. Yeah. I like that a lot because in the eighties, that's all there was with, with the Asians, right? A lot of stereotypes, uh, you know, big old thick glasses with uh, cameras, um, yeah, I, I do find it very fascinating, you know, that they gave him so much backstory uh, for a character, which, you know, I, I do wonder now, like, how forward thinking uh, were they with a, with a potential sequel? You know, just with um, I do remember hearing that the, the movie part one was actually supposed to end kind of somewhere around where the uh, the second movie picks up. So I do remember that, kind of like how they did, you know, Back to Future 2 and 3, you know, like kind of shot back to back. So I am curious, but uh, it is a very good screenwriting. I wonder if it got any nods for that at the Academy Awards. But um, If it didn't, it deserved it. I mean, it really this did. is actually a very, very well-crafted script. Yeah, you know, like um, you can say all you want about Ralph Macchio's acting, you know, in that role. I feel like that's that's how a 16-year-old would act. But yeah, you're, you're right. The, the dialogue, everything is really good. Like the, you know, the, the scene after Daniel gets beat up on the beach and he's going to school the next day, his first day of school and he's wearing the sunglasses and his mom's like, you know, take off your glasses. I just want to see those baby browns. You know, like all, all of that, you know, that's, that's good writing. Like you're, 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 the, the mom is feeling so vulnerable that she can't help him because he doesn't want to admit that he's getting bullied already, you know, just moving there. Mm-hmm. He knows that this is important to her. So um, this is not your average family movie. No, no. Uh, the other thing, now speaking of the bullying, do you think that Daniel did a lot to kind of egg it on himself at all? Especially at the uh, the dance scene? 
Yeah, I I was thinking about that. Like, what was the point? Um, you know, why were you, you? He provoked that one. That that was on him. He shouldn't have done that. Yeah. So, uh, with speaking of that scene, when I was a kid, I think it went over most people's heads. You know, it's funny as an adult now we talk about movies like Toy Story or something where like, oh, okay, that's a joke for the for for the the grownups. Well, in this scene where Johnny is rolling up a little doobie. I didn't know what he was doing as a kid. Like I, I was like, "What? What, what is that he's playing with, and why is he putting it in his mouth?" So <laughs> I never knew what that was for the longest time. Uh, you know what? I I completely forgot about it until uh, I can't remember the name of the character, but you know when he's talking about rolling the number. Right. Like, oh, okay, okay. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about, and I can't remember, was it Martin Cloves? Cloves. The name. Okay. The the head of the Cobra Kai. Right. What was your uh, feeling about him? Um, I thought that he was like still stuck in Vietnam, you know, probably racist against uh, all Asians and everybody's a, a uh, Charlie to him is probably what, what I got about it. I mean, he trains, he instructs and trains his students as if they're soldiers, you know, fall. Well, I mean, I, I guess maybe those are, uh, very similar commands too in martial arts. I'm, I'm not sure. I never took karate. Um, but yeah, I, I felt it was very militaristic, uh, you know, with his dojo. Mm-hmm. Looking back on it, I, I, I kind of got the impression that it, it felt a little campy okay. where he was so over the top, but you know what? It was still really, really enjoyable to watch. Yeah, it, it was like, um, there was one line delivery that, that did get a little eye roll from me. It's when Mr. Miyagi ha- has one more request to leave boy alone, you know, to train. And then he's like, Oh, you're a pushy little bastard, aren't you? But I like that. And I, I thought there was going to be <laughs> more, but there was like nothing else. I'm like, what? That was it. <laughs> so I thought that was a little cheesy, but you know, it is in the eighties. Exactly. Um, yeah. Clearly. Yeah. He was playing a little over the top. Now, what did you think about the way that Miyagi was training him as far as doing the the backbreaking work, you know, sanding the deck, painting the fence, and painting the house? What did you think about the way that Miyagi went about? Yeah, the, the whole uh, training sequence, um, it, it does take up a, a lot of time in the movie, and I'm not trying to make that sound negative at all, but what I found out in this viewing was that that was over the course of four days which i actually thought it was longer uh all these years i, I just thought that it was like you know uh, a couple days of this a couple days of that but it, it's hard for me to kind of like remember what my initial thoughts were uh just because i i we, we all know the big reveal right where daniel just gets really frustrated he's like He's like, hey, come on, man. Like you, you said that you would train me and we haven't done squat and all you've been having me do is just clean your house and stuff. Now, I don't think that these techniques would really translate into actual, you know, like defense, but I think it pays off. Like the reveal pays off when he's like, look, I'm, I'm done. I'll see you tomorrow, whatever. And then Mr. Mark is like, Daniel son, come here, you know, and then, and then he's like, all right, show me this, show me that, and then demonstrates. Like, I, I think the reveal pays off. Yeah. Uh, not only that, but it really kind of established the relationship between Miyagi and Daniel as far as, hey, listen, I am the teacher. I am the instructor. You're here to listen to me and do what I say. Everything I'm doing is for a reason. 
Right. And I just thought that it was a, a really good build up to that payoff. Yeah, you're right. Because if he just kind of like eases them in, it's kind of too friendly. Like you're not establishing that, you know, I'm the, you know, the sensei and you're, you're my pupil. Uh, yeah, I like that as opposed to just, you know, being friends. I'm just going to show you the way. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what do you remember of the reveal? I remember being shocked and how amazed I was that everything fell into place and made sense at that moment because I remember being very confused trying to figure out why is he doing this? Why is he all of a sudden being really mean to Daniel? And then it clicked and it's like, oh, that is awesome. Yeah, it's definitely a great moment in the scene. Very iconic. And for me, I was like, you know, this is the best that Ralph Macho has done thus far in, in, in the movie. You know, he is saying so much with his facial expression. You know, you can see it in his face. Even he's like, what are we doing? You know, um, and I, I think he kills it in, in that scene. Mm. You know, and then like as he walks off, you know, like, you know how kids are when they, they feel proud of themselves. Like he's walking away from this and he's, you know, kind of just uh, going through the motions, you know, just like what, what he just learned. So, um, I, yeah, I, re- I love that scene quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and talk about the tournament. Okay. Um, so this was really interesting. Uh, I, I don't know if you noticed, but it was like a one single shot, uh, like as they entered into the tournament and it's kind of like, um, the, the camera kind of like kind of pans up above uh, a little bit and you kind of get to see like the, the entire, uh, arena, uh, which was kind of interesting. Like there was no cuts in between. It was just like one single swoop. Um, so I, I kind of like that. Yeah. Actually, they did that a couple times in this movie where they had big long shots that you could tell was on a dolly, but it was very subtle, but very effective. They did a, a couple scenes like that at the, uh, at the beach training sequences. Oh, right. Uh, they kind of did one and th- there was definitely cuts, but there was, one that was kind of long also is when he was having like lunch with his mom. Mm-hmm. It, it was like right before, no, it was right after he went to go into the Cobra Kai and realizes that the bad guys were there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I kind of like that scene too, where he's just like talking to her and then you see them in the, in the background. Yeah. And as far as the tournament itself, uh, it was probably very fresh at the time, but it kind of felt like they laid down the blueprint for a lot of different fighting games where you have the beginning opponent and you kind of slowly work your way up to the final boss. Yeah. Yeah. A a little bit. It was kind of like tournament style, but what always kind of confused me was like, how did Daniel just enter like a, as a solo, like a competitor, you know what I mean? And then you got like the entire Cobra Kai dojo. Like how does that work logistically? I got the impression that they were all competing for individual placement and titles because they established at the beginning of the tournament, they had dozens of different trophies. Okay. You know, and uh, they weren't, they weren't competing as teams. They were competing as individuals. That's why the, uh, the second to last guy that Daniel fought when the sensei, I can't remember his name. So that he wanted him out of commission. The fighter was devastated because he knew that he was going to be disqualified. Right. That's the one that, uh, um, swept his, 
No, hurt his leg. Like elbowed him, like right right in the leg. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah the you know the other thing with, with this was that um, I do like how it, I, you got to suspend your disbelief when it comes to the fighting because this entire time Daniel has been training, but he's actually had no no one to spar with. So basically, he's going into the tournament without having any physical contact, really, with anybody. No. No, that's that's very true. I, you know, I never even really thought about that. <laughs> uh, the other thing that I thought you really had to suspend your disbelief was the trick that Miyagi had where he would slap his hands together, oh, rub yeah. them really fast, and then perform some miracle massage. Yeah, I, I think... Like, if you think about the two times that he does it, the very first time is right before he has Daniel, uh, you know, demonstrate like, uh, all, all the, all his learnings thus far, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so we get that moment. It's very, um, anticlimactic at that point. He just rubs his hands and it's like, all right, okay, you, you're, you're better now. Daniel's like, well, what, what did you do? So at this point, when we're like, oh no, Daniel's going to lose, we need something very dramatic. Like, hey, you guys remember that thing? So now, you know, we get a little sound effect to it. The, the, the claps is a little bit more uh, accentuated. Um, yeah, it seems a little bit more, I don't know, mystical, I guess. Little, little yeah. Chinese magic or Japanese magic in this case. Yeah. It's one of those things that you clearly were not supposed to think about. Right. Um, the other thing that kind of confused me even back when I was watching it as a kid was, why did some of the Cobra Kai's have a sudden change of heart where literally one second they were die hard, you know, Cobra Kai until the end. And then literally the next second you have one apologizing to Daniel for the illegal hit. And then you have Johnny hand Daniel the trophy saying, Hey, you're all right. Yeah. That seemed like a very, very quick turnaround. It, it is like the, the one that. Uh, hurts Daniel. I feel actually throughout the movie, I kind of kept an eye on him because I, I do remember that scene very well. But, actually, um, wasn't even, he the wasn't he the one when uh, the Halloween fight when Johnny was spouting off about you know he is the enemy, no mercy, and all that? Wasn't he the one that said, "Hey, listen, you're you're going a little bit overboard." I, I think that is him. Okay, uh, okay. Because also in the beach scene, uh, he's also the one who's like Johnny. He's he's had enough. Well, no, no, that line was in, was when they were dressed up. But on the beach when they were fighting, the guy was telling Johnny, like, hey, let's, you know, that's. Okay. That one, that makes more sense. The Johnny turnaround still doesn't make sense yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 so that guy was kind of consistent throughout the movie. Um, obviously when it was him against Daniel during the fight, it was like, you know, no, no mercy, right? So, so mm-hmm. he kind of like, uh, got, got back into that. But, uh, with Johnny, I feel like it's more like a respect thing, you know, like he obviously didn't agree with like decommissioning, uh, Daniel as instructed by his sensei. And so with Daniel winning without having any previous experience, I, I think it's just more of respect, uh, kind of thing as well. Um, because again, like we keep bringing up a little bit of the, the beginning of part two. You know, and we get to see how that kind of unfolds uh, between Johnny and his sensei as well. Yeah. Now, as far as the very end, one thing that I wanted to kind of point out that I never really thought about until tonight when I watched it. What did Daniel say after he won? He said, we did it. We did it. Right. Compare it to Rocky. When Rocky wins, I did it. 
to me, it's a, it's a subtle difference, but it's very rewarding. Even okay. though, yeah, Rocky was the one in the, the ring. He wouldn't have done it. He wouldn't have gotten anywhere near as far as he did without Mickey. That's right. Whereas yeah. Daniel, this movie acknowledged that the trainer is just as important. And in some cases, maybe a little bit more important than the fighter. Mm. Uh, again, it's a, it's a subtle difference, but I think it's a very distinctive and important one. Do you think maybe, uh, cause Rocky's not so bright, so he just wasn't thinking? I don't think it was, uh, that they were thinking. I think it was just, I, I think it was just a really good contrast that maybe they did it intentionally, maybe they didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, uh, how do you think it ends? I mean, what do you think of the ending? How it's kind of abrupt and it just kind of like, uh, pauses on Pat Morita? I thought it was fine. Uh, they said everything that they really needed to say. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know how else you would have really, you know, uh, ended it other than maybe a slow dissolve with Daniel holding the trophy up, being lifted on everyone's shoulders. Yeah. But again, looking at it as an adult, it kind of cements, in my opinion, the fact that Daniel was not the hero. This is not Daniel's story. It was all about Miyagi. Right. Cause it ends with him. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot, actually. Um, but also thinking about, it, I guess a lot of movies like in the early uh, to mid 80s also, they kind of did end that way. Um, I mean, the first one that kind of comes to mind is, uh, Teen Wolf, you know, where it's yeah. also a, a pause at the very end of the movie. But, uh, I guess that's, that's pretty much it. We, we talked about the relationship between Daniel and, uh, Mr. Miyagi. Um, did you ever see the remake by chance? No, I steadfastly refused to watch the remake because even though it had been a long time since I'd seen it, I had enough good memories to where I didn't want to have anything to do with it, especially because, and this is well established on my podcast, I am not a fan of Will Smith in any way, shape, or form, Mm -hmm. and the whole thing was just a vanity project where his production company bought the rights so that he could literally try to make his son a star. So it's like, you know what? No, no, I, I'm not going to support this with my time, let alone my money. Yeah, it, it, it's not a must-see, but I thought it was pretty good, um, paid its homages, but it, it, I, I feel they didn't do enough, um, to make it their own. You know, it was just another remake, uh, really. So they didn't really even try to take any risk with that. Um, a lot, a lot of things very similar uh, down to the training. That's the part where I had a problem with. They couldn't do anything different. Uh, obviously it wasn't like wax on, wax off. It was, uh, pick up the jacket, put it down, pick up the jacket. You know, I was like, okay, you guys are just doing it over again. Um, so I think, I think it was, uh, I think it was good. It's not great, but they just didn't take enough risks, um, you know, in, in the remake. And really, that's my biggest problem with this onslaught of remakes that we're having. It's the same story that we've already seen, not necessarily even told in a better fashion. So why bother? Just give me an original story instead, and I'm more willing to give your movie a a chance. You know, the the funny thing is, like, uh, the first movie that I just thought of that did take some risk in making enough changes still came out like garbage was a uh, point break really yeah i watched... that, that was another one where it's like you know what i don't want to support that movie at all see the thing is um you know on my other show original remake the 
the uh, ongoing joke was that Point Break was one of my favorite movies of all time, but I had never seen it yet. And it, it was because uh, it was a joke because of that. Like I haven't seen it, but you know, it's just one that I missed. But I, I mean, I know who are, you know, the people in it. And I know it was like a, you know, kind of like a heist movie. Uh, so I actually watched the remake first. I'm like, Oh, really? Huh. Wow. Yeah. 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 So I was like, huh. Okay. This movie's interesting. And then I watched the original. I'm like, well, that was a, that was really different. So they changed so much, uh, in that remake. Like they, tried to go too bold and be too different that it was just terrible well so that was just a bad example of one well yeah and the whole thing with point break is that it you know much like karate kid it's very much identified with the era in which it came out and so to right. try to recapture that and update it for a different uh time it very rarely if ever succeeds i can only think of a handful of times where it really did you know, like John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. Uh, a couple of versions of Dracula. You know, yeah, Bram Stoker's Dracula pulled it off. That's just about it, though, as far as remakes go. So, um, but that's that's a whole, whole separate story, whole separate right. discussion for a no, whole separate podcast. Absolutely. So, since we are at the end of the review, um, I don't do ratings anymore, but I do pull up the Rotten Tomato score and the IMDb score, and mm-hmm. we're just going to kind of decide uh, which one we agree with uh, more. Okay. So, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's fresh at 90%, and IMDb has it at a 7.2 out of 10. Which one do you think uh, oh. agree with a little bit more there? That's a tough one. Uh, you know what? I would probably go a little bit closer to Rotten Tomatoes because even though looking at it as an adult now, I do find a lot of uh, Daniel's decisions to be annoying, but I find it to be annoying in a believable teenage kind of way. So, yeah, I I, I think I would go with the Rotten Tomatoes uh, verdict. Yeah, seven point two. I'm a little surprised. That does seem, um, you know, really low for the for the crowd of kid. Obviously, I'm I'm probably biased. Um, I, I do love this movie. You know, if, if I was given a rating, I'd give it five out of five stars. You know, I you know completely love this movie. Uh, so I'm gonna agree with the uh, Rotten Tomatoes as well with the the ninety percent. Um, I was just kind of thinking about like the moment I I I feel when Miyagi decided that he's going to kind of help this kid out is when he gets when daniel gets jumped you know right after the dance and miyagi comes in you know kicks their butts and then he picks him up and then you know like the the little things that he whispers to daniel you know because daniel's like unconscious and all of that i mean and it was just it was really sad knowing you know his backstory as well mm-hmm. so a lot of great scenes. Well, that and, uh, the, when he's trying to recuperate after getting his leg messed up by the, uh, Cobra Kai kid, the reason why Miyagi agrees to let him continue fighting isn't because he wants to win the tournament. It isn't because he wants revenge. It's because he wants balance. He wants to make things right. And really, Pat Morita sold that with his expression. You know, yeah. even more than, uh, than Ralph Macchio, who was the one delivering the dialogue. Um, looking back on it, yeah, Pat Morita completely stole this entire movie. Yeah. Yeah. He, he really does. 
And, you know, I, I think that's why it made sense to kind of give him his own movie, uh, in the next episode. Yeah. So, or, uh, in the, in, yeah, in the next sequel. Yeah. So, uh, that one you, uh, returned for and, uh, looking forward I, to it. Very yeah. much looking forward to it. Yeah. Me as and well. And real, real quick, I just want to say thank you for having me on because honestly, I don't know when or if I'd ever watch this movie again and i had such a good time revisiting it so thank you for this yeah well the, thank you for uh, coming on to the show you know i enjoy working with you uh you and jake yeah um likewise thank you thank you uh why don't you uh, give your plugs uh where you know listeners can find you and maybe something that you can uh, kind of recommend if it's uh their first time checking out your show all right. Uh, well, if you want to find me, uh, you can listen to us pretty much anywhere. You can find a podcast, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher. Uh, if you are a Google user uh, or an Android user, I should say, go to the Google Play Store, type in the word Couch Party. You're going to be able to find us as well as a whole mess of other people. Uh, as far as an episode that I would recommend, uh, we're starting to get more and more interviews. Uh I would probably recommend the one, and I here kind of drawn a blank as far as which number it was, but uh, the one where we interviewed a gentleman by the name of Matt Hawkins. He is the president and chief operating officer of Top Cow Comics, which is one of the main branches of Image Comics. Uh, and he really let maybe a few uh, too many uh, inside informations as far as how to break into the industry uh, and tips and tricks on how to really, if you want to become a comic book artist or writer, just a wealth of information in that episode. Well, there we go. And for me, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Paul Stalgic. I'm also, um, on We Got Five here at Court and Parts, but also visit CourtandParts.com for uh, our latest content. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, all that good stuff. Um, and yeah, uh, Tom, you'll be joining me for Karate Kid 2 very soon. Well, how, why, don't, why don't we uh, round it out with Karate Kid 3 while we're at it? I'm, I'm down for it. Hmm. I, I don't remember if that was a good one or not, but I'm it, at least willing to watch it. I remember it wasn't, but here's the thing. You know what? Maybe, maybe we'll do that too. Um, uh, I did interview, uh, Gabriel Jarrett, uh, who did have a small role in, in that movie. Uh, so that's awesome. Uh, for those that don't remember, he was in, uh, Real Genius with Val Kilmer. So, okay. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah, he's got a excellent. small scene that he, uh, talked about in that interview too. So, yeah. Okay. So maybe we'll do three as well. Just round it out with the uh, Daniel LaRusso saga here. Um, but uh, I think I, I mentioned all, all of my uh, plugs. And um, so, so that'll do it. We will see you guys next time uh, here. All right. Talk to you guys soon.
Thank you for listening to the Court and Parts Podcast Network. To listen to more Court and Parts shows, visit courtemparts.com.